Thanks for popping on your headphones and joining us for an episode of Ballsy History, a podcast about big personalities and little-known stories. Settle in for a tour of the outrageous acts, incredible stories, and outsized characters that shape history. We're your hosts, Elizabeth, Elise, Elliot, and Maureen. We're glad you're tuning in. We'd like to introduce our friends from the Book Nerd Diaries podcast. Here's a little bit about them. Hello, world. My name is Amber. All of us have stories, and I've got a few for you on my bite-sized bi-weekly book review podcast, The Book Nerd Diaries, where I go deep talking about the latest books I've crossed off of my endless to-read list and more. Whether you're a fellow book lover or not, we hope there's something for you in our show to love. So please check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever podcasts are found. Again, that's the Book Nerd Diaries. We're glad you're here for our show today about mudlarking in the River Thames. Today on our show, we'll learn about mudlarking, which was first described in the 18th and 19th centuries. The original mudlarks were utterly poor, searching for anything they could dig up and sell from the mud of the Thames River. But today's mudlarks are hobbyists, historians, and treasure hunters looking for clues from the past. In fact, many objects in the Museum of London have labels noting discovered in the Thames. Stuart Wyatt, Fine's liaison officer for the London area says, the Thames is especially rich in small, portable finds. It's not only their quantity, but their quality that makes the Thames finds so important. Most European cities have channeled their waters into paved canals, wiping out much of the history along the way. But not London, which is one of the only places where you can safely do something like mudlarking. The variety of artifacts found can be significant finds, but they also often represent items museums don't often have much of, the cheaply made everyday objects such as children's toys like a medieval toy horse and knight, a Roman hairpin, or Venetian glass chevron beads. The Thames is one of the largest archaeological sites in the world, and pretty much the entire history of Britain can be told from the items found there. The River Thames flows through the heart of London, witnessing the birth and growth of London and its people that have passed through. Traces of their lives and activities left behind are lodged in the mud, waiting to be rediscovered. Layers of dirt contain thousands of years of artifacts from prehistoric and Celtic tribes, as well as Roman, Saxon, Viking, and Norman occupiers, the Victorian and Georgian ages, and more. The river is so full of items because it's been used as a rubbish dump, a depository for household waste, and, of course, since it was a highway, people accidentally dropped things during their travels. Since London is centered on the Thames, houses were built right against it, and, in the 18th century, there was shipbuilding and other industry related to being a busy port in the river. Enterprising citizens wanted to create barge beds which would allow flat-bottom barges to rest in the river at low tide. 
In order to accomplish changing the riverbed's natural V-shape into something flatter, they filled the space with trash, kiln waste, building materials, and extra soil from digging in other areas. All of this was topped with a soft layer of chalk, which wouldn't damage the bottom of the barges. As the tides raise, so does the water level, up to 23 feet, and this daily fluctuation stirs up centuries of deposited material. To the people of London a century ago, this river flushed away everything from animal bones to human waste to old crockery. There wasn't much that wouldn't end up in it. While the Thames was a working river, barge beds were fixed when they broke. But now, they're being left to fall apart, and as they erode, more treasures are loosened up and moved around. When the barge beds were being constructed, they were digging into Roman layers, and some of that was moved down the river to build other areas up, so they created a mix of medieval Roman artifacts and Victorian memorabilia. The other reason items are so well preserved in the Thames is because it's muddy and anaerobic. Without oxygen, available things are preserved as exactly they were the day they fell in. This is why modern mudlarks have found fabric, wood, leather, and much more without damage. Sometimes when an object is pulled out, the colors, bright at first, will begin to fade immediately because of exposure. Annually, thousands of archaeological objects are discovered in the foreshore by members of the public. And these finds are recorded in the Portable Antiquities Scheme database. This information is available for public research and it helps shape a clearer understanding of Britain's past. The first time mudlarks are mentioned or written about in connection with the Thames was at the end of the 1700s by a man named Patrick Calhoun. He was looking for a way to protect the ship's setting anchor in the river and started the river police as a way to protect the West India ships. Sometimes they waited as long as six months for a berth so they could unload their cargo. Of course, sitting ships loaded with cargo drew the interest of gangs of criminals with such names as night horsemen, scuffle hunters, and river pirates who looked to steal whatever they could. And whatever these criminals dropped was what the lowly mudlarks were waiting for. Items like bladders of rum or spices might be tossed overboard and the mudlarks would scavenge them from the mud for black market through nearby taverns. This is the first time that the mudlarks are written about, yet in the mid-19th century they gained higher recognition in part because social commentators wrote about them. Many wealthy Victorians would go to the impoverished parts of town to observe how the poorest people lived and found the mudlarks to be particularly fascinating. Mudlarks were, really, the lowest of the low, mainly women, the elderly. They were working all along the River Thames, an army of pickers, if you will. As soon as it was low tide, they would climb down rickety river stairs and poke around in the mud, looking for anything they could sell to survive. Their findings would be taken back to the streets, where they sold the items to rag collectors and glue factories in order to escape the workhouses which were so terrible that it was better to traipse through the thick layer of mud and excrement without shoes on, hoping to find something of value. One woman, Peggy Jones, became well known for finding coal in the mud with her bare feet. 
There are many significant finds from the Thames, including the famous Battersea Shield. This is an exquisitely crafted Celtic shield produced around 350 to 50 BC. It was discovered by workmen dredging the riverbed during the construction of the Battersea Bridge in 1857. The shield is a sheet of bronze that would have covered a wooden shield, which is long vanished, and it is made up of several pieces held together with bronze rivets and enclosed in a binding strip. This bronze sheet is too thin for protection in combat, and the shield shows no signs of battle damage. Most likely, it was either a status symbol or a votive offering, also known as a gift to the gods. If it were a votive offering, it would have been cast into the river as thanks. Large quantities of Roman and Celtic weapons and skeletons were discovered nearby in the riverbed, leading historians to conclude it was the site of Julius Caesar's crossing of the Thames during the 54 BC invasion of Britain. Other finds include a bust of the Roman Emperor Hadrian, recovered near London Bridge in 1834. It is believed that this head was part of a larger-than-life statue of the emperor, and it likely stood in a public space where everyone could see it. Since the head was found in the Thames, there is a strong possibility it may have stood on a bridge the Romans had constructed over the river. Both of these artifacts are in the British Museum. Mudlark finds can alter our picture of the past. Many of the finds are very small pieces. They are like little pieces in a jigsaw puzzle that help us create a picture of the past. By putting them together, we get an idea of what's going on. They can actually rewrite history, said Dr. Michael Lewis, the deputy head of Portable Antiquities and Treasure at the British Museum. Over the last 30 years, the Museum of London, for example, has acquired over 90,000 objects from the River Thames foreshore, not too shabby for enthusiastic mudlarkers. Medieval and post-medieval toys found in the mud offer clues about vanished societies, as they often represent small versions of real-life things, such as dripping pans. Mudlarks have found toys including animals, miniature figurines, dolls, guns, cannons, watches, soldiers, and domestic utensils. Senior curator Hazel Forsyth of the Museum of London has cabinets filled with hundreds of pewter toys acquired from the Thames by mudlarks. In fact, their collection of early base metal toys is one of the largest and most important in the world. These toys are extremely rare and are evidence that some parents in the Middle Ages provided their children with every pleasure they could afford. Small figurines wearing traditional Tudor dress were produced as children's toys in the 16th century. One mudlarker found a pewter hollow cast, full-length female figure with hair covered by heart-shaped French hood decorated with lines and dots representing jewels. The details of her dress reveal what popular fashions of the time period looked like. Victorian porcelain dolls have been discovered on the Thames foreshore as well, including frozen Charlotte dolls representing little girls with arms pressed against their sides with no movable limbs. The name Frozen Charlotte comes from a poem 
called Fair Charlotte, written in 1840 by humorist Seba Smith. In the poem, a young girl named Charlotte refuses to dress warmly during a sleigh ride to a New Year's ball. She wanted everyone to see her pretty dress and froze to death during the journey. Frozen Charlotte dolls were extremely popular in Britain in the 19th century, and miniature versions of them were baked into English pudding or cake as a fun surprise for children to discover at Christmas time. Mudlarking, with its buried history, has played an important part in uncovering, expanding, and preserving what we know about the story of London as it played out on the banks and in the River Thames itself. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Ballsy History. Tune in next week to hear a new episode. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review.